Good morning. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. I am so pleased to have back in our audience Mr. Walter Fields, who is the CEO and publisher of North Star News. Walter, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me again. Um, there's many topics that we can discuss over the course <laughs> yes. of the next 12 months, but one topic in particular is the murders in Newark. And we must ask ourselves, what is going on? Uh, this program, for the benefit of our audience, this program is being recorded on September 9th, and it's going to air the first weekend in October. But I just wanted to get Walter in to talk about this very, very serious topic. Walter, what's going on? Last I read, the mm -hmm. murder count was up to 10 in the last few days. It was 10 in 10 days, uh, which is sort of um, what we're witnessing across the country um, in major cities. But in Newark, we see this intensity in, in violent crime. And there are a lot of reasons, I believe, for that. I think Newark is a city that's still deeply troubled. It's a city that still does not provide opportunity for the residents who live there. It's a city where 40,000 African-Americans are living in poverty. Um, it's a city that has some real deep economic issues that have yet to be addressed. And it's a city where opportunity is not necessarily on the menu for most Newarkers. Um, and it's problematic because, you know, we always look at crime and we always take sort of a criminal justice approach saying, you know, just lock them up. But it's not that simple. You know, a lot of this crime is the function of people who have been denied an opportunity for decades. Young men in particular who are outside of the economic mainstream, who see no opportunity for them, who are the products of a horrible public education system, who probably grew up in homes where poverty was the norm, um, who might have grown up in a home with only one parent. I mean, there's layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. And I think the problem whenever we have one of these spikes in crime, the immediate response is for mayor, as, as Mayor Booker did, hold a press conference with the police director by your side. That hasn't worked, it's never worked. The only thing that works is when people have an opportunity and they feel they have a stake in their community. And I think what we're seeing in Newark right now is a real unraveling of sort of um, civic mindedness. There is no real concern about the community because I think the community feels that there's no concern about them. Wow, now have you seen from your perspective the clergy coming out to address this, this issue? You know, there are individual people, and the other, and the other thing that people should, should, should know is that for years there have been people on the ground in Newark who have really tried to focus on these issues. You know, you had people like Larry Hamm, People's Organization for Progress, uh, Reverend Thomas Ellis, the Enough is Enough Coalition, um, a brother, the street doctor, who has really been in the street and in the communities trying to address people, particularly young people, so that there'll be an alternative way to, to settle you know, conflict. But those people can't do it by themselves. And I, and I think we always point to the community and say, you know, what is the community doing? The community is taxed. And so you have to ask the question, if you have people who are committing so much time on their own voluntarily, 
what is the official government structure doing to support these people who are doing their best to hold on to their neighborhoods? And that's what's missing right now. We're missing real leadership from a civic point of view from local government. You know, one thing that I've been very critical of the mayor, and, and I supported him when he ran both times, been very critical because I believe that if you are the mayor of a city, your first priority is the welfare of your, your residents. And no amount of construction, no amount of downtown business development is going to bring Newark, New Jersey back. What's going to bring Newark, New Jersey back is when its people are made whole. That means you really have to improve public education. That doesn't mean a press conference. It doesn't mean a $100 million check from a, a billionaire. It means you have to figure out a way to give kids the relative advantage of a quality education. And we're not seeing that. And, and, and how does a leader go about that? Because we have seen countless figures in Newark in that leadership position prior to Mayor Booker, Mayor Sharp James, and Kenneth Gibson. Mm -hmm. And the problems have just seemed to have gotten worse. What would you recommend is the recipe that will turn this around? Well, the first thing I think you have to make children your priority and really make them your priority. I think as mayor, you have to decide how you're going to invest your time. Um, I think a mayor of a city like Newark needs to invest considerable time not talking about educational policy, but how often are you actually in the schools? Are you sitting down with teachers who are the people responsible for educating these children? Are you sitting down with school administrators, people, particularly if you're a mayor who says, I want to be held accountable for public education. I want it like Bloomberg wanted it. So if that's the case, then I have to see the requisite investment of your time and effort in public education, and not just through press conferences and press releases. I think you have to develop a policy in a city that really focuses on young adults. You know, what are you doing to create a climate of opportunity? You have school buildings in Newark that are shut at 4 o'clock, that have libraries in them. Open up the schools. Allow them to be places of safe haven so young people can go someplace in the evening. And I'm not just talking about playing basketball. I'm talking about open up the school libraries, open up the classrooms. You know, part of what we, we're doing is we're sort of looking at the situation and we're pointing at all these problems, but we're not using the assets that we have. And so as a mayor, what I want to see is a set of policies that addresses the most vulnerable population in your city. And right now, it's young people in Newark. No doubt about it. And it's, and it's most particularly young African-American males. So if you know that, show me what you're doing to address that population. I don't see anything. And that's a problem because it's not going away. So long as there is an absence of opportunity, you create a climate for gangs, you create a climate for drug dealing, you, for all types of illicit behavior. These young men aren't stupid. In fact, if you talk to a lot of them, they're bright kids. They're bright enough to know that there's nothing out there for them and that they have to survive some way or another. Now, we may not like the choices they make, but... Any of us who are put in a situation of having to survive day to day, we might make the same choice. It's easy to say that, oh, I'll never do that. But you know what? If you, 
if you have no way to put food on the table or a place to sleep at night, you might make similar choices. Uh, as we witness uh, through the unfortunate Katrina fiasco, um, that folks um, needed food, and um, you know, folks were accused of looting. But uh, as you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you, one one must eat. One must eat, and they were shopping. You know, they, <laughs> we may we may not be able to understand what compels someone to take that drastic measure, but if you have children at home and they are hungry, and they have not eaten in a couple and, of days. And they're looking at you. And they're looking at you. Then you're going to do whatever you need to do to take care of your family. The thing that we don't give people in a place like Newark credit for is their resiliency. The fact that 95% of the folks that live in that city are hardworking, if they have a job, decent people who are just trying to live and raise their family in some degree of normalcy. And I think I admire people who still stay despite all the issues. They haven't left. And I think that says a lot about who these people are. So what I'd like to see from the mayor or any mayor is a real acknowledgement that we have populations that we're not serving. And we need to figure out a way how to use the resources that we have to serve them better. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here with Mr. Walter Fields, the editor and publisher of North Star News, talking about the murders that are occurring in, in Newark at an alarming rate. Uh, Walter, some years ago, a neighbor of mine, uh, Baron Weir, young man in his early 20s, was gunned down in the streets of Newark. And, and unfortunately, he was killed. And it shocked me to the point where someone born and raised South Orange, educated at Hampton University, uh, whose life was cut short um, in the streets of Newark. And at that point, I thought the community might wake up here in South Orange, mm -hmm. simply to say, you know, we're neighbors to Newark. What can we do as a community uh, to, 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 to stop this problem. And to date, we have not seen any progress. Have you seen any no, progress? No, and, and I think one of the challenges is that we have built up these artificial barriers um, in these communities that ring our cities. So as I always tell people, um, I live in a neighborhood of Greater Newark. I live in Maplewood, New Jersey. I consider it to be a neighborhood of metropolitan Newark. If I were in any other city and I drove 20 minutes from the core of their downtown, Philadelphia, I'd still be in Philadelphia. New York, I'm in New York. It's only in New Jersey that you drive 25 minutes out of downtown Newark and you're in different, a different community. And so we've created these barriers. And I, I think people need to understand that Newark would look a lot different if it included a South Orange, a Maplewood, um, because the tax base would change dramatically. So you would have a different sort of city that could do different things. It's what Indianapolis discovered 30 years ago when they basically enlarged the city of Indianapolis to include the areas in the county for the purposes of sort of equalizing the tax base and being able to do more. I think if New Jersey did something like that, you'd see a radically different Newark. But we're so stuck in our ways in New Jersey that 
you know, even in Essex County, a very small county, you could have 21 municipalities. It's crazy. Right. You know, where I grew up in Bergen County, 70. And so we've, we've literally choked our cities to death. And what people don't understand about Newark is that you go into a city where probably over half of the land is non-taxed because you have parks, you have hospitals, you have government buildings, none of that pay taxes. And so museums, and so you have a city that's cash starved. And so, but that's why you need leadership that's going to take up the mantle and get together with other mayors in New Jersey, urban mayors, and say, we got to fix this. Now, uh, Mayor Booker, uh, of course, is not here. We'll gladly uh, invite him on the program to, to address these, but he's in the middle of a campaign. He might argue that uh, being a senator, he could bring new resources to, to Newark in legislatively. In an era of less in Washington, D.C., there will be opportunities, very discreet opportunities, to bring dollars back to your state. But that's infinitely more difficult being a junior senator because you're going to be so low on a totem pole that you're not going to have that sort of clout. I don't care what your national reputation is. When you get to, when you get to Washington, D.C., you're the new kid on the block, and you're a freshman, and you're the junior senator. So, and the other thing about being in the Senate, um, even more so being in the House, you know, it's not really governance. It's not fixing potholes. It's not improving education. It's policy wonkishness. And so part of the frustration of the American people, I think, is that when you look to Washington, all you hear is uh, the rhetoric. But you don't see really any improvement in the quality of life of people. So, you know, I would counter that argument to say, you know, if you go to Washington, it provides you a stage and it provides you an audience but it doesn't necessarily provide you with a happy ending to the play because you don't have the ability to provide that happy ending. It takes senators years before they're in a position. It took Frank Lautenberg years before he was in a position to be able to impact his home state. And even when he wanted to at times, he was stymied. Depending upon what the partisan drawer is in the Senate, depending upon what the partisan drawer is in the entire Congress, who's sitting in the White House, it's, it's a real crapshoot. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would say that he is going to have sort of minimal impact upon New Jersey in terms of drawing down those type of resources at a time when the federal government is in retrenchment. Walter, just today, um, being a Seton Hall alumni, I'm a university advisory council, and I have my radio program I teach here as well, I get these pirate alerts of when crime occurs. Mm -hmm. Uh, just today, uh, an alert came out that someone was robbed uh, in the Bowling Hall parking lot, which is right off of South Orange Avenue. And it, it, it appears to me that throughout the year, we probably have somewhere between five and ten incidents. So the folks here in South Orange, we simply can't say, oh, we tuck our heads in the ground and think that everything is okay. What would you recommend to the citizens of South Orange, Maplewood, and the surrounding area? What can we do to help this in the situation? Because we just can't sit idly by and go, oh, well, that's in Newark. Because 
uh, that crime will work its way to. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I think we could uh, invest our, our time in looking into um, providing services in Newark, volunteering in Newark, particularly with young people, um, collaborating with the people of Newark, because it's, it shouldn't be about crime fighting. It should be about uh, valuing human life and creating opportunities for young people. And if that's where your heart is, and I think you have to find a way to work with people in the surrounding communities to say, we're all in the same boat, that we can't sit in a Maplewood or a South Orange and act as though it doesn't impact us when it does, and act as though even if it doesn't impact us, we shouldn't be concerned. Because at the end of the day, if we don't solve this problem, it's going to bring the entire nation down. You're seeing it in other countries, such as France, where young people are frustrated because there are no jobs, there are no opportunities. And about five years ago, there were some serious riots in France. Spain as well. And Spain. So you're seeing that around the globe, that there is a generation that feels as though, you know, the first you had the Vietnam War generation that felt excluded young people. Now you have a generation that feels excluded from economic opportunity. And that's a dangerous mix when you look at the numbers, the sheer numbers of young people in these cities, that if we don't do something, we are asking for some real problems down the line, and they won't be contained in those cities. Now, this past summer, I know that you started a Saturday morning group uh, in Irvington. Uh, tell us about the program and, and, and what it uh, included and, and how it worked out this summer. Well, the program was for um, young boys, middle school age. We had some younger. And it was basically a, a six-week Saturday morning course in which we tried to instill self-confidence, cultural awareness, really tried to hear the boys out in terms of what they were confronting in their communities and in their schools. And it was a wonderful experience uh, because we learned a lot. Uh, we learned, number one, that these young African-American boys are very bright. Uh, we also learned that they have a lot on their mind and they often don't get a chance to express themselves. And we provided them with that forum. And so we're taking that concept now and actually, um, you know, uh, I'm working this week on plans for our academic year program that will include middle school boys. That will be two nights a week, uh, the second, probably the second and third Wednesdays of each month. And that we're going to do the same thing, but we're also incorporating this time sort of a fun math challenge because all of the research shows that African-American boys tend to shy away from mathematics. So we think we have a way to make it fun, um, that they'll get it, um, and that they'll be less intimidated of that subject, for the subject. So, you know, it's a lot of work, but I think it's a type of work that we all need to engage. If we, if we are serious about addressing some of these problems, some of us are going to have to spend some time and really devote ourselves to personal interaction with these young people. Because it's not going to work any other way. I, I, I remember as a young man uh, attending church in, in Atlantic City, Second Baptist Church, uh, Mr. Bear, one of the uh, elders in the church, got up to talk about young people, which you know I think I was like uh, eight or nine. And he just broke down and started crying about why it's so important. Um, I didn't understand it as a child, but as an adult, I know exactly what he's talking about because you want each child to have that opportunity 
the opportunity to be able to, to make a better way for themselves. Without a doubt. I mean, it, it really pains me whether I see it up, up close or whether I see it on television when you see young people who are hurting uh, because you would want every child to have this sort of experience. Look, life isn't perfect. And there, you know, many of us went through our own trials uh, when we were young. And because of that, I think you have this empathy when you see a young person who is hurting. Um, and we have too many young people who are hurting. And I think that's, that's what I get out of doing this work. It's like I, I need to know what I can do personally to try to help some of these kids. And it may not be 10,000. You know, through my life, I might be able to touch a thousand, but that's one thousand more than would have happened if I didn't do something. So, you know, part of it is is this this overwhelming sense of responsibility. Um, and for those of us who grew grew up in uh, faith based families, you know, it's sort of um, almost a responsibility that you wear, um, and it's a serious responsibility. Uh, because as you look around, you know, you want to be able to, when the day comes and you leave this earth, that you can at least say that I put in some good work and that I was true to, you know, that calling of serving others. And so I think we're at a moment in time when we need people to step up and serve. And some of us are going to have to sacrifice and some of us, you know, are going to have to um, except that we may not get everything that we expected in this life. But that's okay, because if we leave something behind, there'll be a young person that will pick that up, that will benefit from it, and hopefully they'll see in your sacrifice that they too have to sacrifice and help somebody. Yes, yes. And what was the conclusion of your summer program at the end of the six weeks? How many, and how many young men did we, you We had between 15 and 20. And the, the final Saturday was a great Saturday where we met and just had a general discussion. We always read a piece of uh, black literature um, every Saturday. But on that Saturday, I made the young men interview each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, towards the end of the program, we, we paired people off. They had to stand up and introduce their person. And I did that because I said, now you know who this young person is. And so now you've got a network. Now, have they met before? None of these kids knew each other. Wow. And, you know, the, the first Saturday, every parent said the same thing. You know, he doesn't really talk a lot. He's kind of withdrawn. I couldn't get these boys stop talking because they, they felt comfortable and they felt that they had a safe place to say a lot of the things that they didn't feel comfortable saying in school. So... I'm really looking forward to, you know, the academic year program, actually working mm -hmm. with the principals of the local middle schools who, you know, have been committed to supporting this effort. Um, and I just hope that, you know, we get as many young men as possible because I think that we can show them that, you know, there is, it is a tough road, but there is some support there that can help them. And Walter, you have my support, whatever I can do to help the program. I appreciate it. Yeah, my full support. My nephew, uh, my godson, uh, Kiwan, he lives in Chicago, um, the Kappa, Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity. They have a program, um, I forgot the name of it, but I posted it on my fraternity site, which is Omega Sci-Fi, that this is what Omega should be doing. And that Kappa program, and I was actually talking to someone about that Kappa program yesterday. Um, it's a very good program. 
And I think more and more African-American men's groups need to step up to the plate and say, this is our responsibility. Right. We got to take this on because, yes, I think government can do more. Um, yes, I think the private sector can actually do more. But we have the ability within our own community to do some things that we're not doing. Well, it speaks to the resources that we have at our disposal that are underutilized. Um, I'm sure Pastor Jefferson uh, at Metropolitan Baptist Church would open up yes. uh, his, his, his conference rooms or whatever mm -hmm. for programs such as that. Oh, definitely. And, and I think, you know, um, every time I go back to my college homecoming at Morgan State, I'm just amazed because, you know, you look around at 40, 50, 60,000 people on campus and you start to realize, you know, there's a lot of money walking around this oh, campus yeah. today, a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to redirect people's attention. And I think we, we one of the benefits of the civil rights movement is that we've created the opportunity to have a somewhat of a semblance of a black middle class. But the downside of it is that we've really engaged in a lot of conspicuous consumption. So we've spent a lot of money on things that have no intrinsic value in terms of human development. And that's a real tragedy. And so I think we have to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, you know, we literally would be the probably 16th, 17th country in the world if we spending uh, power. If we've got that much spending power, what in the heck are we spending it on? Right, right. So no child should really have to want for the college tuition to be paid. No child should have to go hungry in our community. We have the resources. We can do it ourselves. But it will require sort of a re-education of our community as to our responsibility. And if we do that, then I think we'll be taking a giant step forward. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who joined us late, we're here with Mr. Walter Fields, the publisher and editor of North Star News. Uh, I would urge you to uh, log on to NorthStarNews.com and follow Walter on Facebook. His postings are phenomenal, and I learn a lot about our civil rights history uh, by reading your postings and what is it throwback thursday you have something I have to, it's it's look the facebook twitter they're all powerful mediums and i think you know the another, the other lesson is you know we we need to be able to use them for more than entertainment i think it gives us an opportunity to communicate with each other to educate each other to inform each other and you know once we start using those platforms for those purposes we'll begin to to see some real improvement in the quality of life of our community and so I just encourage people when they're on, I say, yeah, it's, it's nice every now and then to put, you know, something funny on Facebook or a joke. But, you know, something, that's a powerful tool. Mm -hmm. I mean, through Facebook, I've connected with people who I hadn't talked to in 35, 40 years. I mean, elementary school classmates. So if, if the platform is powerful enough to make that connection, you have to think that it's powerful enough to do something else for us. So that's, that's why I encourage people, let's use it for some real constructive purposes. You know, we're almost out of time. One last uh, question uh, before we go, and this has to do with the, um, our politicians on the state level, the county level, and the city level. Um, we have not seen them come together and have a press conference to say, we're going to address this problem in Newark. What, 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 what would you say to them in regards to what we, will, what we need from them? 
I think what we need for them right now is to show some visible signs of leadership, to use the power of your office in a manner in which is constitutionally prescribed. We're not asking you to do anything extra. We're just asking you to use the power that you have to help in this situation. And then I think as voters, as residents, as concerned citizens, I think it's our responsibility to demand that to hold elected officials accountable. We have become too invested in celebrity in terms of putting our elected officials on platforms when we need to understand that they were elected to serve the public. That is their only job. If they're not doing that, then we need to put someone else in their position. And so I think we have to be more vocal in saying that it's not your your behavior is not sufficient and it's not appropriate for the crisis that's at hand we expect more out of you well said walter walter again i want to thank you for coming on the program thank and, you brother and we're going to have you back because uh we want to do another segment on our black history in regards to what the what the current generation thinks about it or doesn't think about it because there's a lot that uh, that they can learn from that Ladies and gentlemen, we're here with Mr. Walter Fields, the publisher and editor of North Star News. And uh, we hope that you enjoyed this program. If you've missed any segment of it, uh, please go to iTunes U under Seton Hall University and look for leadership. And you'll see Walter Fields, The Murders in Newark Must Stop. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Remember, leadership begins with you. Have a great weekend.